to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. about why did Jesus come? We're taking a break from 1 Corinthians. We'll be getting, or 2 Corinthians. We'll be getting back to that next week, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 10. But I want to talk about this morning is living in a world of uncertainty. The year 2012 has been a year of much turbulence. Anger, fear, mistrust, frustrations, division, and despair is how many would have described their feelings and attitudes this year. 2012 brought many horrific events, such as several mass shootings, turmoil overseas, political intrigue, superstorms, and even a fiscal cliff. And in the midst of all this uncertainty, people are searching for a glimpse of light. Many are looking for a savior, whether it's in a person or a policy or a party, to give them the hope they so desperately need. However, the world has put their hope in the wrong things. Their hope in people, policies, and parties are misplaced. And searching for the answers, they find themselves deceived. And that is why Christmas is so important. Christmas is a time that people look for hope, right? So much energy is exerted to betray hope in happiness and peace and tranquility in things such as movies and commercials, greeting cards, and other types of media. We're trying to conjure up that Christmas spirit. Unfortunately, And all of that exertion of energy, the true purpose of Christmas has been lost in consumerism, holiday traditions, and even while we're focusing on family. You see, Christmas is so much more than a greeting card. It's so much more than a fireplace and hot chocolate and your loved ones around you. So today I want to answer the question of why did Jesus come to earth? And the answer that I'm going to propose to you today is from Scripture, is that Jesus came to reveal truth to you and I. Unfortunately today, too many people have replaced truth with experience or have given up altogether searching and trying to know truth. And some of this may be familiar to you, as I've shared this in other types of ways, but there's almost two models of truth today. There's what's called known as relative truth. Many of you are familiar with relative truth. Relative truth is that type of truth that's defined by the individual. It is subjective and situational. So truth is what you want it to be for you and your purpose. What may be true for you is not true for me or for someone else. It's personal. 
People say that re- re- relative truth, excuse me, is respectful, tolerant, and unbiased. It's loving. It's all the things that you desire. But there's another model of truth, I believe, and I believe that's the truth that Christ came to share with us, and that's called absolute. Absolute truth is truth that's defined by God and no one else. And it's defined by God for everyone. It is objective and absolute. It is true for all peoples, for all times, and for all places. So wherever you find yourself in the history of time, it's true. And it's true for all people, no matter the geographical place and no matter where you are. However, some would say absolute truth in that definition is arrogant and it's intolerant, and it's prejudicial. So we have a movement over the last 40 to 50 years, and I think more so reflected today, is the relative truth has found dominion for many. You find it in television, you find it in movies, you find it in political uh, TV shows, and so on and so forth, down the way even into our colleges and our universities, and through the teachers, professors, and finally to the students, and even to parents and the children, it's found its way in every nook and cranny of the world. The problem is, is we're going to find that relative truth does not help us in times of uncertainty and turbulence. It finds itself as a cracker that's crumbled up. It finds itself with no substance. And with that, I want to share with you why I believe absolute truth is the truth that Jesus came to share with us. So today we're talking, as we're still kind of within that Christmas season, instead of speaking about the birth of Christ, which we did last week, I now want to go to the last days of Jesus. As you take your Bible and turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18 will take you to the last days of Jesus. And the days as he stood before Pilate, facing execution at the betrayal of Judas and the Jews, we find ourselves in John chapter 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Very plainly. And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then verse 37, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king, and for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? Father, I pray that you help us this morning as we concentrate on this passage of Scripture and how it relates to us during this time. This time of turbulence, time of uncertainty, this time in which relative truth finds itself 
as the dominion uh, theory and philosophy of many. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. I pray that you'd seek within our hearts and, and we would ask the question, what do we believe in? Do we believe in a relative truth or an absolute truth? What do we say of Jesus? What does Jesus come to do? We think of salvation, and that's so much true. We think of sanctification and glorification, all which is so true. Lord, it's also given us a way of thinking, a way of being able to sort through life. And I pray that you just impress in our hearts what you may have for us this morning. We pray this. Amen. Pilate obviously was a man of relative truth. 2,000 years ago, what is truth? And isn't that what people ask? If you were to ask somebody, what is truth? Truth can mean whatever it means. It can mean something to you. It can mean something to someone else. But I want to share with you, when Jesus says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come to give bear witness, there's some implications here for this time of the year. The first implication is Christmas means that there is a truth. There's a truth that everyone should believe. Truth that is something that is outside of my own mind. It's not something I just conjure up or something that I just want to believe. There's something outside of myself. Truth also is something that's discovered and not created. For many, they want to create their own truth. They create their own world. They create their own nation. They create their own philosophy. But yet the Bible says that truth is something that you and I discover, that we look for it as a hidden treasure and precious jewels. And thirdly, the truth is to be submitted to and not controlled. And I find, think that's where we find many times that even if we find truth, we, want, we don't want to submit to that truth. We want to control it. I find many Christians are that way. Many of the, the, the attacks that are going on or the debates that are going on in, in the Bible and about, about uh, today going on is about submitting to it or controlling it. The second implication that I think we see here is that Christmas means that Jesus came to testify to that truth. <coughs> Excuse me, that was his purpose. In other words, he's the key witness of that truth. And with those two implications in mind, I want to give you four things of how Jesus bears witness, how Jesus gave witness to the truth. So there's four things that we want to look at today. The first thing as we go is that Jesus gave witness to the truth by speaking the truth. And that's what you and I need. Don't you, have you ever thought about that? Sometimes you just, you know, like we think of, uh, um, what's that, in A Few Good Men. And uh, Jack Nicholas' character as the general, you can't handle the truth, you know. Well, Jesus speaks the truth. And sometimes we ask, is there someone out there, especially as we went through the, you know, the political season, how many of you sometimes just wanted to pull out your hair, grab the TV and say, someone just speak the truth. And then in, you know, in the newspapers, or in the, you know, they would have those, those fact checkers, but then you would need fact checkers to, to check the fact checker, checkers. That, that's a hard word to say for me, fact checkers, checkers. But Jesus is one who speaks the truth. He's one that can be trusted. You see, Jesus was born to speak the truth about God as no man ever spoke about him. For example, Jesus had said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
And that's one of the most important truths in this universe, that Jesus, the historical man that we think of, is actually the pre-existent God. Not only does he say he existed before Abraham, which was 2,000 years or so before Christ, was uh, before Christ, but he himself called himself the I Am, the personal name that God had given himself in the book of Exodus. And so when Jesus says, I am, that's more than just something, a Popeye statement. It's more than, I am, so I exist, so I must, I am, or I think, and therefore I am. He's making a statement about who he was. And then to make, the plain, make plain the significance of God becoming man, Jesus bore witness to the great salvation work he was to do. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He goes on to say, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, he spoke as he made his way back to the Father. So Jesus gave witness to the truth to speaking the truth. He did not try to push his own agenda. He did not try to control the truth. He did not kind of bend it, but he spoke the truth plainly, which many of us sometimes struggle to do. There is no guessing. Is he hiding something? Is he not telling us something? No, he spoke the truth. He says, I bear witness, and here is my witness. My witness is true. The second way that Jesus gave witness to the truth is by being the truth. And this one here is probably the one that's so important to me that that probably impacts me the most. For Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And even to this day, people struggle with that truth. That's a truth that is reverberated throughout the halls of time. But even today, people are looking for other ways. But Jesus said, no, wait a second. Not only do I speak the truth, but I am the truth. Paul said in Ephesians that truth is in Jesus and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge were hidden in Christ. So to find truth, you've got to find it in Christ. And this is why he was born, not only to speak the truth about God, there have been many that had done that. Abraham did so. Enoch done so. Uh, uh, Joseph had done so. And as we go through, many prophets and priests had spoken about God. But Jesus was God. But also to embody the truth about him. In other words, as you saw Jesus, you saw God. We never know the truth more than when we do, if we do not know and love Jesus Christ himself. And see, what we find here is truth is not a concept. It's not an ideal. It's not something to be debated about. It's not something to be voted on. For truth is not a series of of commandments. It's not a series of lists. But here's the point. Truth is a person. And so to know the truth is to know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know the truth. And I'll say this, there are many times that the world, politics, you know, pol- excuse me, politicians, 
even Hollywood stars and all of the pundits and maybe even your cousin Joe. There are many times that they can speak the truth. But let me tell you, all truth is God's truth. So just because as a, they're right every once in a while doesn't mean that everything they, are, they say is right, right? A broken clock is right twice a day. It tells you the truth for 60 seconds. But yet what we see here is that without knowing Jesus, all others is suspect. If they claim that Jesus is not the Messiah, is not the Christ, they don't know the truth. They may once in a while speak something that may be true, but it's in their ignorance and outside of what they really think. So not only does he give witness to the truth by speaking the truth, and not only by being the truth, but the third way that we see Jesus bore witness to the truth is by dying to establish it. By dying to establish it. He nailed it down. He says it will not go away. It is there. The Greek word for witness, as we speak about Jesus being a witness, that's what he said. He says, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And there have been been many witnesses throughout the ages. But the Greek word for witness is martus, M-A-R-T-U-S. And that Greek word for witness, martus, became the word for martyr. Because dying for what you stand for is the ultimate witness to it. And I encourage you, there's several books in the back that will share with you some martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us historically of many who were, who were killed for the sake of Christ because they bear witness to it. But even that, if you were to go into the back table, I don't know if we have one, an up-to-date one, but there's another magazine called The Voice of the Martyrs of nowadays people contemporary pastors and preachers and missionaries that are now being martyred, imprisoned, persecuted, and tortured because of their witness of the truth. And there's something about someone who stands for truth. For who would die for a lie? Who would die for a lie if they knew it was a lie? But here we have men and women. Jesus says he's the ultimate witness. So in Revelation... Jesus is called the Amen and the faithful and the true witness. This witness is thought of in terms of his death and his resurrection and his his reign as King of Kings. If you were to look at Revelation chapter 1, and if you look at verses 4 or 5, you'd see a sequence there where it says, Grace to you and peace from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings. Of the earth. <clears throat> Notice the order. There's first death, the faithful witness, the martyr. Then resurrection. He's the firstborn from the dead, and then his rule over all kings. He was born to witness to the truth in the greatness of his achievement of his death. In other words, because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father through me, he didn't just say it and then walk away. He lived out the truth to the point of death. I encourage you, is that the kind of truth that you have? Is what you believe is true, how you live your life and the decisions that you make, are you willing to die for those? Are you ready to put it down to the the greatest test there is? 
Jesus gave witness to the truth by speaking it, by being the truth, by personifying it, and by dying to establish it. It says, here it is for all the world to see. But fourthly, he gave witness to the truth by sending you and I now to be witnesses of that truth. For truth now is given to you and I. And as a light, he says, now take that and take it and share it with others. Truth is not something to be hidden, but it's to be shared. He was born witness to the truth, not in just the 33 years that he lived here on this earth, but in all the time that's on the earth till he comes again. That's why he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you in John chapter 20. In 1 Timothy he says, the church is called a pillar and buttress of the truth. In other words, it's the thing that holds it up. And I think sometimes, many times, that the church is guilty of what we call the, 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 the um, uh, losing the word here, but the, the, the great expanse of relative truth because we've been silent. There are so many churches and so many pulpits and so many preachers and Christians that no longer stand for what is truly true. They themselves have fallen victim to the siren song of relative truth. The message we bring to the world is called the word of truth. It's the gospel of your salvation in Ephesians. And when judgment comes, the condemned will be those who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So I ask you today, as Jesus comes and he says, I bear witness to that truth, that's what Christmas is about. I'm here to accomplish something. And I'm going to speak the truth while I'm here. I'm going to share with you something that no one has ever shared before. And that truth is, I am the truth. Seek me out. If you seek me, if you embrace me, you embrace the truth. He says, I'm going to die and establish that truth. And with that, all of you will be able to send the truth out to others. So the question I'd have to ask you, in what camp do you find yourself living out? How many pilots are out here this morning? How many of you are still trying to twiddle your thumbs and saying, what is truth? Have you been seduced by the same thing that the world has? And you say, well, of course I believe the truth, but are you embracing the truth? Are you living it out? It's found in God's word, right? So when the Bible says, husband, love your wives, are you loving your wives as Christ loved the church? Wives, are you submitting in the same way that God has said so? Children, are you obeying the Lord in the same way? In your relationships, men and women, are you living out the sexual purity that God has called us to do? Have we truly embraced the truth? Or are we taking the truth, and like many, like many, are we, are we taking it and trying to control it? Instead of submitting to the truth, are we trying to finesse our way through it? You see, that's where you find many today. They either ignore the truth or they try to finesse it into their own making. See, they, they believe that the truth which is found in God's Word is like silly putty or, or type that Play-Doh. We make it to what we want it to be. And God says, that's not what I came to give. The Bible has told us to be a witness. And unlike, unlike Pilate, we don't say what is the truth. We know who the truth is. 
The Bible says that the truth has set us free. We no longer are blinded by the lies of Satan and his deceptions. But he tells us to be a witness. But for you and I to be a true witness of the truth, we need to understand the truth. We need to recognize the truth. So I'm going to give you four things real quickly. Is how you and I are to be the witness of the truth, even as Jesus was, is first we need to acknowledge the truth. The truth is found in His Scripture. Acknowledge who God is. Acknowledge who we are before Him. Acknowledge the work of Christ on our behalf, and then the fact that Christ is going to come and calls us to respond to that truth. Acknowledge it not only in, in, in theory, but acknowledge it in your thinking and your living and in your decision-making. Make it alive in the way that you make decisions about your family and your finances and in your living. Learn the truth. Embrace it. As he says that all the treasures and wisdom of God are hidden in Christ, you need to be diving in there, trying to find out more of the nuggets of truth. How does God want me to live? How do I seek to please him? We need to submit to the truth. Again, the thing that I think we struggle with, many of us have acknowledged the truth. We're even good at learning the truth, but submitting to the truth is something that we just struggle with. Submitting to the truth is difficult. The Bible says that we're to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and die daily. We need to do that. That's submitting to the truth. Recognizing that the truth, as difficult as it can be, is something that God has called us to do, and His children will do so. And then He's called us to share the truth. Because we can't hide it and hold it to ourselves. But as we see that truth comes and makes a difference in our lives, we need to then share that out. We need to be willing to become witnesses and martyrs for the truth. You know, we live in a country at this day where persecution does not put us so much in jail. But I think of one that is. Many of you have been reading the story of Hobby Lobby. How many of you know the company following the story? As the new health care uh, act comes in, it says that all companies with employees of a certain number have to provide all these services. And some of the services are birth control services. And some of those birth control services are truly abortions or lead to abortions. And they've made some leeways and says, well, well, a church does not have to buy that. We'll give you a religious conviction out. But if you're a business owner who has religious convictions, they throw them out the window. And what I like about Hobby Lobby, which is different from many, is they made a stand and said, now wrong or right, now you, we could debate the, this issue of whether or not it truly uh, uh, produces abortions. But let's just take that aside. But what they're doing is they're living out their convictions by saying, this is what's truth for us. And they fought it through the legal things, and each time it's been cast down, it's been turned down and said no. Now what we have to understand is that January 1st, if Hobby Lobby does not provide it, they will have to pay a fine of $1.3 million a day. That would wipe out most, most companies. For me, what would that do to you? You might say, well, I've acknowledged the truth, I've submitted to the truth, and I've learned it, but yet, now I've done everything I can, then I must just go ahead and just give in. 
they haven't done that, have they? They have come out and says, we will pay that fine every day. For we will not stop believing in the truth. So for them, their standing for the truth is going to cause them some real damage. And that's something that's unusual for our country when it comes to religious liberties, knowing the truth. We're not Iran, we're not China, we're not Russia, we're not a Muslim country, and there are many of our brothers and sisters of Christ that are struggling and fighting for their lives this very day. But yet we see a turning. So my question is, you may not be a martyr for Christ in the fact that you're losing your life, and some of you may this may never affect you that you're not uh, losing your business or losing large sums of money, but maybe you might lose the respect of a neighbor. You might undergo some ridicule. Maybe it might cause you to make some financial decisions that aren't like everyone else. Maybe when your accountant says, you know, with, with every all the taxes going up, you shouldn't give as much to your church. And you say, well, you know what? That is true. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go and I'll just do this. I'll go and do that. Let me share with you, we need to stand with the truth, no matter what the cost. I love one man's definition of faith. He said, faith is bold obedience to God's word in defiance of circumstances or consequences. No matter what it costs me, though my foes may slay me, Scripture says, I will still serve the Lord. Is that real in your life? Is that how much you love the truth? Have you embraced the truth to the point that you say, I would give it all for the truth? What does your life stand for? For us today, we must understand that we find the truth in God's Word, the Bible. Hebrews tells us long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And what we have here is a collection, specifically the New Testament, as it shares with us the life and the principles and the doctrine of Christ. But Christ tells us that all Scripture speaks of Him. And so in here, you and I no longer will have prophets. We no longer have supernatural angels who will pop up and say, hey, by the way, do this. But we have His Word. So embrace his word, learn his word, submit to his word. But I have to share you, the Bible is under attack. One of my most favorite uh, commentators, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, is Piers Morgan. I don't know if any of you watched his show this last week with Rick Warren, but listen, once again, Piers Morgan this past week tells Rick Warren that both the Bible and the Constitution were well-intentioned but they are basically inherently flawed. So in Piers Morgan's mind, the Bible and the Constitution, one written by God, one written by man, are both inherently flawed. Greatly spoken by someone who's not even a citizen that lives under the Constitution or the Bible. But yet this is what he says, it's inherently flawed. He goes on to say, my point to you is about gay rights. So that's his issue he brings up. He says, for example, it's time to make an amendment to the Bible. So for him, the truth is relevant. 
It's something that's not always the same. So now that public opinion has changed, we must now take our Bibles and our constitutions and we need to mold them as you would mold a, a piece of clay and that's what should be the standard. So truth today is not that. And I love Rick Warren's comment. I don't know if any of you saw it. You can YouTube it. Uh, he kind of fumbled a little bit. I think he was taken back. But he said no. He said what's inherently flawed is the opinion of man. That's what changes the Bible doesn't. So I'll give kudos for that. But his example there is something that many people today, even others who preach and teach the gospel, would say that the Bible needs to be amended. It needs to change with the times. It's a living document, and it ought to go. But that's not what truth is. You see, you and I need to hold God's treasure as precious, or God's word as precious. Hebrews chapter 2, if you want to turn to there very quickly, that'll give me a chance to get a great, uh, drink of water. Hebrews chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 2, look at the first verse. He says, we must pay close attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. And that's what's happened to the church over the last ages, is we've drifted away from it. They have not held on to God's word as precious treasure. He says in verse 2, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression of disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and was attested to us by those who had heard. You have to remember the, 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 the readers of Hebrew were not first New Testament or, or witnesses to Christ. They received what was given. And he says, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and very miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, don't drift from what you've heard and read. And that's where you and I find ourselves. We do not find ourselves in the midst of someone who does great wonders and Holy Spirit power. God says, I've given you what is sufficient for you, and that's found here. Their testimony is true. It's reliable. And he says, hold on to it, for if you do not, you will drift. So is it any wonder that our society has drifted away from truth? Tim Kimberly referring to the time of Martin Luther and the Reformation, which was celebrated 500 years ago this year, writes that no one read the Bible for themselves. That's what you find yourself in 1512. 15, uh, you know, it wasn't available. Martin Luther, however, knew people would only live free lives if they continually fed themselves the rich nutrition of Scripture. So Martin Luther led a movement to bring the Bible back to the people. And as we enter 2013, he gives us this uh, challenge. The church, once again, has lost the Bible. And I would agree with that. Yes, it's available everywhere. Most people even have one on their phones. But it's not, listen to this, but it's not in the hearts of of God's people. What a damaging, damaging declaration. He goes on to say, most Christians today 
do not regularly read the Bible for themselves. I wouldn't ask for you to raise your hands, but how many would find yourselves in that description? Yep, you got you version on your mobile, you got it on your Facebook, but in reality, you're never diving in to find the wisdom and knowledge found in Christ. Paul warns the Christians about forsaking the, uh, forsaking the truth in God's word. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, he says, I charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Let me ask you, would, would you be able to challenge me if I came up with a different doctrine? Would you be able to say, Rob, that is not scripture. Rob, that doctrine, you're missing something here. It's not complete. It's not full. Would you be able to do that? You need so. And not of your own mind, of your own tradition, but in God's word. Would you be able to faithfully go through God's word and say, here's, here's where we're listening. You know, that's why I share with you each Wednesday what I'm going to be teaching on next week. So that you can read it. You can pray over it. I don't believe I'm the only one that can listen to God. I'm not the only one in this church that can read God's word and discern it and share with it and understand its truth. That's why at the end of the service I ask you, what has God brought forth in your heart this week? That was 1 Corinthians chapter 14, by the way. Let all come and let them bring a word of truth and sharing. I want to hear what God has given to you. We are, we are, to, we are to read it together. We are to, to learn it together. And then we're to give it together. And we're to even debate it together. Finding out what God's word is. Don't become a one pastor or one man feeder. And not in the fact that you should be looking for others, but we all ought to be involved. He says, do not teach any different doctrine. Don't devote yourself to myths and endless genealogies that promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. I think that's where we found ourselves. There are many people that maybe are biblical literate, but really all they want to talk about is the mark of the beast. They want to talk about who the Antichrist is. They want to talk about newspaper theology. And that's all they're desirous or some other type of thing. Who were the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6? All fun stuff to talk about, but in the end, are we grasping the truth? Are we understanding the truth? Are we witnesses to the truth? He says, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussions. Desiring to be teachers, but without understanding. They are saying things about which they make confident uh, assertions. But in my own words, I would add, they find themselves showing themselves truly to be ignorant. So Paul warns Christians about forsaking the truth. So as we come to the end of this year and we're looking at 2013, this has been a year of uncertainty. There's much going into 2013 that would cause many to despair. There are many people that are sharing their version of the truth, but Christmas tells us that there are truths, and that truth is a person. And we are to embrace it. We're to be a witness to that truth and share that truth. I'm telling your friends, your loved ones, your co-workers, your neighbors, they're looking for it. They need it. God has called us to share it. 
Would you allow the truth to embrace by you? Would you allow it to be shared? Would you allow it to be shining forth? I pray this year that you'd make it through God's strength, that you would embrace the truth that's found in the Gospels, that's found in Scripture, that you would bear witness to it, and that you would live out the implications of its truth. The truth of Christ and God's Word is our only hope and comfort in times of uncertainty. And let me close with this. As Paul writes to Timothy, he says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And he ends with this. Timothy, my dear son, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, for from it is truth. Father, we just come before you this morning. I thank you for your word. And I would pray there are many times your word has been more than just more of an exercise in trying to understand doctrine points. But Lord, let me see that it's your word and, it, and you're bearing truth. And truth is found in your word. And Lord, I pray that we not be um, seduced by the world's version of truth. Lord, let us stand for the truth. Let us be strong in your truth. Let us be willing to die for your truth. Let us not try to, to um, uh, change it. Let us not try to, to make it fit our mold, but Lord, let us submit to it. And Lord, I pray that all of us this year would be faithful witnesses of that truth. And that begins by taking up your word, holding it dear, and reading it. Strengthen us for this battle. Strengthen us for this task. And may you be glorified in our lives as we live out the implications of the personage of truth, your Son, Jesus Christ. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.